This episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by The Marriage of Demethro, courtesy of Adventure Delivered. Are you ready to start on a thrilling adventure that will take you on a huge journey through a grand manor full of mystery and danger? Join heroes as they unravel the secrets behind The Marriage of Demethro. Battle fierce enemies, solve puzzles, and discover hidden treasures. Will you be able to help Lady Lara save the day? Find out now and experience the thrill of the marriage of Demethro. Available courtesy of Adventure Delivered. Get your copy today on Kickstarter. Just search for Marriage of Demethro, D-I-M-E-T-H-R-O, or Adventure Delivered. It's a fast-paced, fun-filled adventure that we know you are going to love. From our friends at Cardboard Knights and Adventure Delivered. Now, on with the show. Nerdcognito. Hello, 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 and welcome. My name is Ryan David, and you are listening to Nerdcognito. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I am joined by my good friend, Bert. Hey, Bert. Hey, Ryan. How's it going this week? I'm feeling a little bit better, have a little bit more of a voice. It's still not 100% there, you know, so... Um, yeah, you, you kind of got that whiskey and cigarettes thing going on right now. Well, you know, uh, we went, did go to the casino last night, and <laughs> not being able to breathe and not having a voice, of course, what should I do? Drink, smoke, and, and, and gamble. <laughs> right, of course. Yeah, those are three things you always should do when you're not feeling well. Hey, it was it was a, a well-needed night out, but I'm paying the price for it today. I mean, man. Not getting any younger. <laughs> Rolling in at two in the morning ain't as easy as it was twenty years ago. <laughs> uh, I hear you, man. I've been there. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, interesting week this week, and, and by interesting, I mean quiet on on the gaming front, on all gaming fronts. Right. Not a whole hell yeah, of a really. lot going on, you know. Mm-mm. Darker to darkity darkity dark is still sort of doing its thing, and uh, my needle got stuck there. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't understand it. Uh, I do think it's funny though. The you know my favorite folks, um, they've come out and said now we're going to take over and kill the OSR because we're going to have darkity dark art for all for ourselves. Um, but I don't want to perseverate on that, you know. I Right. I was honest last week when I said I looked at the stuff, I read through it. It is what it is. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm very confused. And if, you know, push comes to shove and I ever take a deeper look at it, I will look at it with honest eyes. And and that's sort of going to be my stance on it. I think that their fan base is just doing their thing, you know? And, you know, if a dagger can be thrown at the other side, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess when two uh, groups of people are at each other's throats, they'll take any chance they can to get a dig in, right? No, I'm not in anybody's throat, am I? Maybe? No? No, no. I just, I just want to love my Dungeons & Dragons again, and I don't think that that's going to happen i think that ship has sailed uh last word on shadow dark the update as of the recording this week uh 850k so wow yeah impressive yeah i mean like i said good for them but all of the questions that we 
raised last week are still in play because the math just doesn't add up. Um, we're still at that yeah, kind of weird, weird point, and we're never going to know. We're never going to know. So good on them. If anything, maybe it will, you know, have the typical Sparkle Troll reaction, which is, you know, Sparkle Trollism generally generates the exact opposite of its stated intent. So maybe some people will be like, hey, there is more to this hobby than my tiefling bard barista. So (laughs) uh, I welcome them with open arms as long as they leave their baggage at the door. So the internet had their normal squabbling back and forth over the past week, but it was all not important stuff, right? Oh, April O'Neil got race swapped in, in the new turtles. Yeah. Well, that's kind of par for the course. I'm not going to get all wound up about it. Reboots and remakes have been doing that kind of stuff for, you know, years. It's not something that's new and exciting. No. No, and uh, what was the other big one from this week? Uh, oh, mud course, or or like whatever. It's AD and D, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean. We're kind of skinny on deep stuff, so why not have for once? You know, back when the OGL stuff was going on, we were begging for something that was fun and light and right. And we finally got it this week with this show. So I think on the front end of the show, we can talk about designer accessories for your group, for your table. Could be tabletop role-playing, could be board gaming, could be something else. But as you know, our end of the hobby loves to pimp their shit out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a big market. I was looking uh, just the other day, and I I came across, actually, I didn't come across, it came across me because it was an ad for a completely ridiculous D20, (laughs) right? Oh, okay. And um, I, you know, I'll talk about that when we get into it, but it's not just dice. There's all sorts of, of very designer, very expensive stuff that some folks go all in on yeah absolutely there are i i'm guilty of of pimping a couple of things out but i i don't even think my level of pimp daddiness on this stuff uh is out of the kiddie pool compared to some of the stuff that's out there right do you ever uh, pimp any of your properties out no not really i mean you know i uh I've always been sort of a basic player, you know. I mean, I do pick a new set of dice every time I make a new character to game with. They have their own set of dice, which is kind of my only little quirk. So I have, you know, 100 sets of dice, but I, I've never bought anything ridiculous when it comes to... But you don't have, like, the $500 set of dice. <laughs> no, no, they're all, they're all pretty standard, you know, set, reasonable cost. I've never paid more than, I think, $25 for a set of dice. Right. The the D20 in question, it's funny you say 25 bu- bucks, was $25. And uh, <laughs> it was a liquid core with uh, a, a weighted marble, effectively, inside that was painted like an eyeball, right? Okay. So think Magic 8 Ball, and whenever you rolled the eye 
you know, finally found its center of gravity and, and looked up at the, the number that you rolled. Interesting conversation piece, but I'm also a functional guy. Like, right. I, I don't want to say I'm cheap. I'm not cheap. I will absolutely spend money uh, and sometimes above and beyond what I even should or what people would consider to be a normal amount of spend when it's things that I like and enjoy. But I'm all cheap's not the word. I like the word frugal, right? It has to be functional and practical, too. Right, and, and there's no, there's nothing wrong with paying for quality, but there's a different. It's a different matter when it comes to a certain level of ostentatiousness. Right, when I get it. to that particular die in question, it's liquid core. It's got an unbalanced thing in the middle. Uh, it certainly hasn't been tested because it's handcrafted in someone's basement, sent out on Etsy. Um, is it functional as a die? Is it balanced? Is it go- a die's core function is to provide randomness, random number generating. Right. And, exactly. And I don't know that that die could do that. And then I question, why am I buying something like that? Of course, there's always going to be the stuff that's, that's a shelf piece or that you show off at the table. But I just can't get into the super premium level for stuff to look at, you know? True. Even my insane obsession with having every masters of the universe action figure. Right. They're not in their boxes. We play with them. We take them out. We, we, we sit there and he man beats the shit out of Skeletor. (laughs) So so it has a functional purpose. Um, This die, I can't see it being functional. First of all, it's so pretty, and I believe it was glass or super polished glossy resin on mm-hmm. the outside. So the first time you roll it, you're scratching it. More than likely. Uh, I just I can't get into it. What are some other super premium bumps that you can give to your table? Well, I mean, we could start with the base, the table itself. Gaming tables are a huge <laughs> business right now, and they can go for our, for thousands of dollars they do go for thousands in fact I, I don't even think a base model small gaming table we're saying that can accommodate four and a moderate board game i don't even think it would be large enough to role play on for four uh you might be able to get that under four digits but anything that is a legitimate table size table mm-hmm. especially when you get into options i mean shit these things have options like a car bert oh yeah absolutely i mean the material you can custom materials custom designs like there is a thousand ways to make that gaming table your own i mean as someone who doesn't have a dedicated gaming space at my house i mean dining room table is where we're at uh you know i can't see spending that money for a gaming table at least not realistically for me it ain't no shame in the dining room table either because it's multi-purpose. People can eat on it. People can work on it. People can game on it. Right. Again, when you get to the special gaming tables, unless you have a space dedicated for gaming, uh, it, it might be overkill. Mikey has one, right? And, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, Mike has one, and he has the dining topper for it. So it is actually his dining room table, and then you 
pick up the topper and the vaults underneath, and he never has to tear down Frosthaven. So, okay. Okay. Um, but again, you know, Mikey is an eternal bachelor with discretionary money. So, right. That's true. That's true. Um, I don't know. Uh, there, there's there's all sorts of things. I've pimped out a couple of board games, sort of. Mm-hmm. But again, that frugal kicks in, and it was, yeah, it's a little above and beyond, but it was out of necessity, and, and I think you know the one I'm talking about. I'm sure I do. our listeners could probably guess. It's it's Eldritch Horror. Right. Uh, one of my favorite games, absolutely in my top three. Um, but the necessity for it was born because not only is it Eldritch Horror, but it's Eldritch Horror plus all nine of its expansions. True. And I needed a better storage solution for Eldritch Horror and all nine of its expansions than having a a crap ton of board game boxes. So I went a little overboard and got some 1920s throwback faux leather steamer chests <laughs> and <laughs> um you know have I happened to have a laser engraver so I laser engraved Eldritch Horror's logo on on the front of it and I packed away the game into that you've seen it, it, it again Absolutely. it's good looking but it's functional. Exactly. I, I'm, uh, you know, when it comes to something like that, I'm thinking of uh, our friend Dan and his Sentinels of the Multiverse. Oh, uh, yeah. He went in on that Kickstarter that is what I like to call the Sentinels of the Multiverse warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's literally about the size of like a milk crate, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it has absolutely. all of the drawers and all, you know, it's decked out with artwork and it was not inexpensive, but it is pretty. It is the conversation piece. It's a dedication to a game, but it's also functional. Right. It actually does something for him. Right. Know? Right. Uh, with the advent of 3D printing. Uh, the ability just to print your own miniatures and models has kind of blown up the board gaming space with the caveat of you have to be insane. I'll give a shout out to T-Shirted Historian because he is an insane painter that often jides me. Jides? That's not even a word. I know. I I, I know the word. Are you sure? (laughs) No, no, I'm not. Uh, He gives me shit because my miniatures are naked. And uh, he's really, really into painting miniatures. He does a wonderful job. I think on his stream this week he did a wonderful version of the Dark Knight Batman on YouTube. You can go check it out. Um, But, again... that's a passion and a skill that that I right. just don't have. Yeah, I've never been very good at miniature painting. I tried to do it once or twice when I was younger, and I just I don't have the skills for it. On the flip side, I can send out miniatures to be painted, but again, my frugalness kicks in. Right? What do I get right. out of it? They're they're dudes on a map in the grand scheme of things. I'm not putting them in a curio for display. I'm playing a board game with them. So right. 
See, I feel kind of that way about like gemstone dice and things like that. You worry about the, you, you spend, you know, uh, you know, a large amount of money for a set of dice and anybody who's played role playing games like us for years knows you chip a die, you lose a die, and then you've got a set of dice that you spent, you know, 90 to $150 for, and now you're one short or one has a corner chipped off. Or... <laughs> no, I, I totally hear you. What else is, is a supreme upgrade that I'm, that is not coming into my brain right now? Um, well, uh, deluxe editions of gaming books, you know, the ones that are like leather bound and gold mm. leaf and things like that. You see a lot of those these days coming out. You do. You do. And apparently every single backer of Darkity Dark Dirk Dark is buying that version. Oh, oh did I, I, we're not going back on that. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not going back there. Um, yeah, no, you're right. And I get it. If you have a particular love of a series and you want that super premium, go get it, man. Go get it. You only live once. And I look at it like this. If the difference in money is not life-changing money and it's going to make you happy, go for it. Absolutely. Now, if you can't buy groceries because you're buying the super premium gaming book, that's that's another question. Uh, <laughs> might might want to look at your budget. Right, <laughs> right. But, you know, there's. I, I guess I bless it with common sense as a backer. So Right. I mean for me, I you know, I'm the guy with my books at the table. You have, you know, my books have spills, worn corners from being stuffed in a bag. Like they're well used and well loved. So most of the time I just buy the basic edition because I know if it gets too messed up I can afford to replace it. Right. And and replaceability is a big deal. Man, I wish I uh had some replaceability on my second edition stuff, right? Yeah, uh, some of them have seen some better days and yes, I can get reprints if I wanted to, but that means that I would have to give money to both drive through RPG and wizards. And <laughs> I, I can hold my nose and still do drive through. I, I can't do wizards. So, uh, but that's not news you. to I any mean, of our listeners. Uh, there it is. Here's the news. There it is. There's the news. Um, I cut you off with, with that one. What were you going to say? I had a similar problem with my two ebooks. I had them in a tote in the bottom of a closet, and I went to pull them out to work on something. Mildew. Oh. Oh, was it in the pages or just on yeah. the covers? Yeah, no, it got into the pages. I have seen people successfully recover from even ones that were in the pages. Uh, you know, if they're stained, they're stained, right? But I've right. seen them recover the books by buying those um, little damp rid things from like a, a home improvement store. It's it's right. like a little plastic bucket, mm -hmm. and they open that bucket, which is supposed to treat a whole room, right? And put that bucket in like a large rubber tote, right? And then put the book in there elevated and then seal the tote and like they'll tape off the tote and everything and uh those buckets will absorb like two quarts of of moisture i've seen Ooh. that as a starting point so it's you know a 20 dollar right. gamble but if it gets your book at least readable again that's that's a good thing yeah oh boy so what's in the news this week ryan oh we got a a, a more stories but I don't think we're going to perseverate on a lot of them. In fact, one of them, 
I know is going to be super short, and I'm going to start out with that one because I know for a fact you still haven't even watched any of the new track. Uh, well, no, I, I did watch that episode you made me watch for review. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I made you watch one episode of Strange New Worlds. Um, well, Picard Season 3 has launched, and even the folks that hated New Trek are loving Picard Season 3. Oh. Um, I will be the first one to say that I did not dislike Picard, season one, or season two. Season one was above average. Season two, equally above average. Not good, not great, but watchable and entertaining. You had to take it for what it was, right? And we talked about it on the show many moons ago when I was trying to twist your arm to to watch them, that... If you go into it with the expectations of I'm going to be entertained and there's going to be familiar characters, but it's not necessarily going to be space cowboys, then you'll be okay. Uh, well, yippee Kaye, the 90-year-old <laughs> space cowboy is back in season three, and even I have to admit that that was the missing piece of the puzzle. Season three is very Star Trek. Um, it's good, Bert. It's really good. Uh, really? the first two episodes, uh, we watched when they, when they launched and I was always, you know, willing to watch the next episode of the, of the, the previous Picards. Right. I couldn't wait for the next episode in season three. It really is a throwback. You know, you have the hero ship returning. So there, there is a ship. It's the Titan uh, that, that's coming back. I don't think that that's a, a spoiler to anybody. Um, right out of the gate, it's Picard and Riker saddling up again, breaking rules, kicking ass, and taking names. Of course it is. So it it very much feels like Star Trek. In fact, it even feels more like original series Trek because a little bit of the Kirkitude has rubbed off on the old man in his elder years. So um, Picard in season three of Picard is very much his own person and not the Jean-Luc Picard that was a relatively novice unknown captain of the Enterprise back when the next generation started. Right. Um, they've got a lot of old characters that have some loose ends from the previous season that weren't the strongest loose ends, and they just quickly tied them up and then threw it into the storyline. So they said, yeah, 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 this happened. They said, okay, now here, here's here's the meat, which is good because a lot of those loose ends were the things that people were nitpicking in previous seasons. My favorite character is Captain Liam Shaw, who is the current captain of the Titan and right. actually plays the, the straight-edged foil to fast, loose, and breaking the rules Jean-Luc Picard and William Riker. 
Um, He's the guy who all the memes are being made about, right? Yes, yes, yes. And it, it, it it's very much a callback, not explicitly, but at least in my heart and mind, to my favorite captain of the Enterprise D, which was Captain Jellico. <laughs> uh, of course it was. Why he was fantastic. I don't know why he gets so much hate. I mean, he ran a good ship. <laughs> so, no, he, should, he should get about a thousand pounds more hate. <laughs> don't want to give too much away because I know the series is just in its infancy now. And even though I am Mr. There's no spoilers once it's aired, I know a lot of people are just now coming into the fold because... For whatever reason they may have had, some of the new Star Trek properties left a poor taste in their mouth. Uh, this one is definitely worth coming back to. It's Star Trek the way you want Star Trek to be. I think the weakest thing about it is the villain that that is emerging in, in, in the season. It's a weak villain, but because you have all of the other stuff supporting it, it doesn't have to be the strongest villain. And and it may be intentionally weak. You know, we're still in, in the front half of the season. Uh, she may get more powerful and, and more more lovable, at least for me, because, you know, I always root for the heel um, as, <laughs> as the season goes on. But, uh, no, um, season three Picard, definitely worth a look, even if you hate New Trek. Oh... Mm. Nice callback. Check it out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, you know about break, don't you, Bert? Mm, not very much. I've heard about it, but I, I I haven't seen anything. I haven't done anything with it myself. Well, they've been talking about it for a decade, right? It was uh, one of these vaporware projects. Uh, beautiful fantasy RPG mm-hmm. that is inspired by the love child of the legend of Zelda and studio Ghibli. (laughs) So, um, right. That that was how it was hyped up. And I thought that was amazing, but then materialized. we're, we're seeing stuff come out now and there are some spectacular pieces of concept art and play descriptions. I'm sending a couple of them to you right now. Along with, and and this is where they won me over, a complete and well-thought-out OSR-style world that has been fleshed out and completely world-built. In fact, they even invoked the words old-school renaissance when they talk about their world-building. So, um, definitely on my list definitely something that i'm going to look at the preview page like i said is up on kickstarter we're expecting it to launch soon and i don't know i mean with the uh, with how long ago they announced that project i'm taking a wait and see attitude i'm thinking you know is this just a resurgence on the hype train and we're never going to get anything i don't know man all i know is that sparkle troll brains are going to explode when they have vibrant uh, non-gritty, right? That's that's mm-hmm. the one departure from the OSR. It's very Zelda-ish art, um, which is right in a Sparkle Troll wheelhouse, you know? Uh, but with OSR gameplay and world building, uh, I will be checking it out. There's 
lots to look forward to. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's on the radar. Let's just put it that way. I get it. I'll be I'll be uh, following it, but I don't know that I'll back it at this point. Kind of once burned, twice shy for me. You know? Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, speaking of burn, fire. <laughs> fire. <laughs> fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, season two of Beavis and Butthead has officially been announced with its release date. Uh, it's coming April 20th, 420, <laughs> for Beavis and Butthead season two. Um, <laughs> we were unsure that this was actually going to happen. You know, uh, they caught some, some woke heat as we predicted, because, you know, Beavis and Butthead in today's entertainment market kind of stands out. Um, but I can't wait to crack a beer and watch the dim-witted duo keep on going. They always were one of your favorites. It is like nothing has changed. Only, <laughs> only with the beauty of they take inane brainless tiktok videos and make fun of them as well as music videos <laughs> so okay. um I, I can't wait to see it april 20th uh the stoner holiday brings the two back to paramount oh, no. plus what? paramount uh, plus yeah. that wasn't intentional at all <laughs> <laughs> uh, no of course not right uh, we talked about Star Trek. We better be fair to the other side of the spectrum. Let's talk about Star Wars. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read you a quote. And All I'm right. going to let you guess. Do you think anybody but us, like the people who grew up with it, like anybody would care? Now, take that quote and put it in the context of Wondering who cares if the original Star Wars versions ever get re-released. Well, I mean, considering that he's huge in the uh, community and his work on The Mandalorian, I'm going to say that John Favreau said that. You are absolutely correct. Um, John Favreau did a really good job of pretending to sit on the fence to straddle both fan bases, right? I think he tipped his hand, and he's drawing quite a bit of heat uh, with that statement. Um, continuing, quote, because I know to younger people, that's what I figured out is that the younger people have a whole different perception of what Star Wars is. Each generation, for the millennials, it's the prequels, and for younger people, Zoomers, sometimes it's the Clone Wars. I don't know, but I, I mean, it all stems from the original source material. Yeah. 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 So I don't I mean, know that it, it's, it might, you know, and Favreau has never been a talker. It, even reading that quote, I had a hard time reading it because his, his speech skills, <laughs> they're not so polished. Right. Um, it might have just been something that he was trying to convey and it came out in a really horrible way. Possibly. But it's getting a lot of shit. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I think that it should. I mean, you know, when you're looking at, you know, IPs and things like that, I mean, kind of where it came from is sort of almost as important as where it's going. You know, when you look at, you know, 
you know, things that have been rebooted and remade, you know, do we want to see that happen to, you know, classic properties like Star Wars 2? I don't know. I, I think it's it's awkward language and we're not going to know the intent. And if Favreau is smart, he's not going to go back and try to clarify it. He's just going to let it die out. Right. Um, but I don't disagree with the majority of people. And by majority, I mean like the star Wars fan base is on fire with this to the tune of 83% of the people think that it is not a complimentary statement. <laughs> um, right. So uh, all I got to say is Uta Guta solo. <laughs> Last but not least, uh, the next big box weighing oh, in at 35 pounds. What the heck is it? Frost Haven had an interesting reveal that the 35.6 pound beast actually had to hire a submarine engineer to find a way to fit the components into the final retail packaging. I mean, that's a behemoth. Like, I can't think of any other game that weighs that much. Yep. Gloomhaven uh, came in just shy of 20 pounds, right? It was 18-some pounds. Uh, Frosthaven has 35 pounds of cardboard and plastic. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, I saw it. Uh, You know, uh, Mikey and I started playing it a little bit. It is definitely a beast. Here's my concern. Now, and and there's good stuff in Frosthaven, right? There's really good stuff. Uh, Specifically, for me, there's now base building in Frosthaven. So that's... Oh, that's... Yeah, that's always right up your alley. Right? Uh, It's awesome. Um, But the Gloomhaven digital translation is so good. It almost makes the board game obsolete, especially especially for solo players or for players that have groups at a distance. The translation of Gloomhaven to digital is impeccable. It is a perfect recreation of the board game. So inevitably, I'm sure Frosthaven's going to get that same treatment. Why not just wait? I don't know. For me... uh I'm not a huge Gloomhaven fan. I mean, I'll play them, but it's not something that I'm interested in purchasing myself. But for me, nothing kind of beats that sort of visceral experience of having components. You know, when you have dudes on a map, I want to see the dudes. I want to see the map. You know, I don't want to. <laughs> it's the- Send you a picture of this beast box. Oh, so big. From Mikey's coffee table to your eyes. Wow, that thing is... Man, I think he has couch pillows that are smaller. He does. <laughs> so uh, the question that everybody's asking, why didn't you just make the box bigger? Well, it comes down to shipping, right? Uh, the price for domestic shipping is all based on weight. So box size is unimportant. But international shipping is based on volume. Oh, I didn't know that. Because you're filling a container. 
and sending right. it on a, on a ship somewhere else with prices, especially after COVID, going from like five grand to twenty five grand a container. The extra container really did make a difference for international shipping, and not being the first game out of the gate, having a pedigree, uh, they knew that they were going to ship significantly more international copies. So it was worth the investment to get it into as small of a box as possible. Now, you know, if a uh, submarine engineer designed that setup, that a regular person is never going to get everything back in that box. Oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're, it, once it's open, it's Pandora's box, man. And I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm telling you that from experience with Mike, right? Um, it's going to require, hey, one of those super blingy upgrades that you can do for a board game. And that, my friend, brings us full circle and completes the news. Oh, I mean, more news stories than usual, but pretty lighthearted stories overall. So right. I'll take that as a win. I'm not shouting at any clouds. <laughs> right. Yeah. Your, your tinfoil hat didn't come out, you know. That did a little bit at the front end, but that was just left over from last week. So. Oh, boy. Tell everybody your idea that we're going to end our light show with this week. So I was reading an article about, uh, well, you know about the re-release of Chrono Cross, the Radical Dreamers edition. Yeah, we talked about it on the show, uh, what, maybe a year ago? Right, right. Well, the thing that I found out, I was reading a story about the background behind that, and the reason that that game actually came out is because the company that created it, which we all know and love, you know, Square Enix, they decided to remake it because they thought that the original game was going to become unplayable. It was originally meant to come out in 2020. At the time, the uh, PlayStation 3 had a uh, had a system that you could use to play PS1 games. Um, but they weren't sure that that was going to be available on the PS4. Right. There was a lot of ire in the PlayStation community because backwards compatibility had a giant question mark over it. Right. It was called Game Archive or something like that. So they decided to redo it. Now, because of delays, it didn't come out until 2022, which is when we talked about it. But it kind of got me thinking, you know, there are a lot of classic games that we have from, you know, our childhood, our young adulthood to um, that are on systems that are obsolete or gone that haven't been remade. So I thought it might be fun to take a trip down memory lane and talk about some of the properties that we'd like to see, you know, come to, you know, modern consoles. Get that same Dreamers Edition treatment and come back to us. Now, we have to be very clear here because anyone who has listened to us in the past knows that one of the things that we often poke fun of is when things come back, but it they come back in the pet cemetery version of themselves, like Children of the Corn from last week. <laughs> right, right. We're not talking about a, remo- a, a reboot or a reimagining. We're talking about a full, um, full re- maybe, maybe new graphics, right? Right, sure. Maybe new graphics. And are we sticking know? exclusively to video games here, or are we going to branch it out into board games and tabletop games too? We could branch it out into board games and tabletop games, but you know, I was thinking video games myself, okay. considering the article I was reading. No, I, I'm perfectly good with that. Um, man, there's so many 
There's so many. And, uh, like, I'm going to be cliche if I rattle off the ones that everybody knows that I love, right? Right. Um, and I'll just laundry list them at the front end, and then I'll talk more in detail about something maybe that's less predictable. I don't think anyone would be surprised for to hear me say that I want to see Eternal Darkness. I don't okay. think anyone would be surprised to hear me say that I want to see Final Fantasy VI. So what would be one that's not in the Ryan's very predictable choices that I want to see? Hmm. I can think of one kind of right off the right off the top of my head. It gives me a chance to think. Okay, so I was always a huge fan of Atlas games ever since the PS One days. Okay, I I enjoyed one one particular Atlas game specifically. I'll see if it's the one you're going to pick. And I just found this title. It was a kidsy title. It was a cutesy title, but it was kind of a unique premise. I would love to see an update of Rhapsody. Ah, not the title that I was thinking of. Okay. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a musical adventure where you had to play, you know, as the print, you know, as a, you know, a musician trying to save your kingdom with pu- the help of puppets. So it was a silly little kidsy thing, but it was the only like really like musical, like strictly musical, like think musical, think like uh Broadway show musical, musical theater role-playing game that i can ever think of (laughs) okay that's an interesting choice uh not not the atlas game that i was thinking of which as i thought about it more it did get a remake it was uh shin megami tensai nocturne nocturne did get a remake yeah i have the remake (laughs) um let me see here what would i love to see um i'm gonna throw this one way back Okay. I, I would love to see it, honestly, as like an open world sort of thing. And that's Snatcher. Do you remember Snatcher? I do not. I don't think I ever played Snatcher. Oh, my goodness. How do you not remember Snatcher? I'm dis- You just lost Blade Runner cred with me. Snatcher <laughs> was a Sega CD masterpiece. It's probably why I don't, uh, I don't know it. I never had the Sega CD. Ah. You were effectively a... Blade Runner, uh, not called such, right? Running around and and chasing replicants. Again, not called such, only these replicants also had a Terminator-esque under, like, endoskeleton. Awesome. Um, But it was very, very much Blade Runner. It was... I, I don't know how to describe Snatcher, so I'm going to cheat and read you... The, the synopsis of Snatcher. Okay. Um, Snatcher is a cyberpunk adventure game developed and published by Konami, written and designed by Hideo Kojima. Oh, wow. Okay. It was a Kojima game. And released in 1988. Uh, set in a future East Asian metropolis where humanoid robots dubbed Snatchers have been discovered killing humans and replacing them in society. Uh, You follow uh, a snatcher agency representative that uh, goes through, examines items, searches rooms, speaks to characters, looks at a quasi-open world, right? Mm -hmm. And and does all sort of thing. Uh, Yeah, I freaking loved Snatcher. It was great. 
great. It was great. Sounds pretty advanced for the time. There weren't very many open world games back then. Well, no. And, and, you know, it originally came out for the PC-8801, which was Japanese only. It didn't make its European and North American debut until the Sega CD came out, just because there wasn't a console back then that could support it in the States, right? Hmm. So the game itself is a 1988 property and uh, made its way through seven more years of trials and tribulations before it hit in January 1995 for the Sega CD. So anybody that... um, played it, remembers it vividly, and knows that the calls to to Blade Runner and just all things beautiful and cyberpunk that were really blossoming at that time in our hobby came out, and uh, it had some pretty gory moments by all intents and standards. It had a little bit of nudity, which, of course, never made it to the North American version. Right. Yeah, that wouldn't have come across. And um, I think that it could be redone and redone with style, especially since Kojima is still actively and actively producing and producing quality works. So, yeah, Snatcher would be my first choice. Um, give me another one from you. Okay, well, I mean, for me, th- this is a kind of a real throwback. There was a whole series of these games, and then they just kind of died out in sort of the PS2 days. But I still remember the first one or two with, you know, a lot of nostalgia, and that was the Wild Arms series. I remember Wild Arms, yeah. It was a Sony Entertainment game. It was a JRPG, but with uh, sort of Western influences, you could get... You know, basically arms, you know, magical weapons that were firearms in right. the game. And I, I just remember the, like, the mazes and the puzzles. And I had so much fun playing that game. I, like, played the crap out of it. And then, like, around the PlayStation 2 days, they released a series of them from XC Games. And then they just kind of went away. Huh. Yeah, I, and you that that is a franchise that I haven't thought about for a long, long time. You know, I had another one that was great that I had to shove down in my brain when I was talking about Snatcher, and of course, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> that happens, man. Oh, you know, man. sometimes I'm gonna try sometimes to... the nostalgia engine fires on all cylinders, and sometimes it stalls out. I'm going to try to try my best here to to recall what it was because I was going through this rabbit hole of uh, it's already sort of been done. It's already sort of been done. It's already sort of been done. I went Shadowgate, right? Okay. And and they did remake Shadowgate. I went Snatcher and then I went to Shadowgate and then I went to this one, which I was like, this is great. This is going to be my second game. And now I don't know what it is. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I got it. I remember now. Okay. All right. I have my second one. It finally, it finally went back into the brain. Um, and I think, in fact, I know we talked about it briefly before, but I would love to see a continuation and a re redo 
of the original Fatal Frame. Interesting. Interesting. There, there was a sequel to that game. There was, there was a sequel, Fatal Frame Two: Crimson Butterfly. There was a more modern sequel that was that was not good. But I fear that it's probably dead only because you know cameras and photography, with the exception of those that have the passion, are dead. I mean, seriously, though, that you could upgrade that interface to be, you know, a cell phone camera or something like that. No, no, you can't. No, you can't. Film was a a commodity in in that game. And it had, you know, Japanese horror. It had Japanese ghosts, which we know they never fucking quit. It was. Oh, no, I admit it was a great game. I was just trying to think how you would modernize it. Yeah, it was atmospheric. It was Mm -hmm. terrifying. Oh, absolutely. The story behind it was really, really, really good. Oh, it absolutely was. I remember that game fondly, and that game was, you know, sort of terrifying and interesting all at the same time. You know, a lot of people were, and I'm not shitting on it, but they were really into the Resident Evil and the Silent Hills and the jump scares that came along with them. And all of those things were a more refined. <laughs> it's a snooty version uh, here, <laughs> here in Fatal Frame. And, and I really, really think that if we were to put some real development dollars into fatal frame mm-hmm. because the the last attempt which was reasonably recent right it was really phoned in if we were <laughs> to put some significant development behind it i think it would be a really really good terrifying and visceral experience that modern gamers today may not know right right i mean with the advances in you know you know, at the time, it was it, it felt you know cutting edge and state of the art, but now it's kind of dated. If you could bring that into, you know, modern you know modern graphics and modern you know modern technology, I think it would be an incredible choice. I think so. You want to do one last one? Sure, sure. We can do one last one. I can do one uh, last one too. I'm trying to think of one that's different because all the ones I've mentioned so far have been RPGs, but that was what I primarily played as a kid. I had to buy my own games with my pocket money or my money I got from delivering papers or cutting yards. So I tended to drift towards RPGs because I got more hours of play for my money. Fair enough. So I didn't buy a lot of, you know, adventure games or short games that you could beat quickly. You know, at the time, if I was purchasing, a long playtime was a selling point for me. (laughs) That's true. That's true. One thing that I, uh, but at least the ones I've selected have different elements. Rhapsody had that musical element. The third one that I, uh, that I kind of always remember had a timing element that was really interesting. Do you remember the Shadow Hearts games? Yes. They had the timing wheel where it was almost like playing a rhythm game with an RPG element. Right. Like, if you could get the timing right, you could do massive damage, incredible combos, and Drove really me cool freaking things. insane, man. <laughs> I loved those games. And, you know, rhythm games haven't disappeared. They're still out there. But it, it'd be kind of cool to see a resurgence of that sort of a rhythm-based RPG style. I, I, I 
I disagree just because I never could get into rhythm games. So uh, <laughs> I ain't got rhythm, I guess. <laughs> no, but I, I hear you. There's a segment of, of folks that would do that. And they definitely um, could tap an audience. Uh, I wonder if it's a little too niche. But then again, when you hear my third choice and I'm saying niche, <laughs> I don't even know if you're going to know what it is. Um, I'm talking about Deception. Do you remember Deception? Vaguely. I, I, I do remember the name. I'm trying to put the game with it. The yes, horrible I... Tecmo PlayStation game where you went around a castle that was uh, a, a guy that made his, this deal with the devil, right? And became the master of the castle. And um, you effectively had to defeat the castle and the minions of the castle by setting ridiculously elaborate traps throughout the castle. <laughs> so <laughs> we're talking like you could do Rube Goldberg level traps where you knock a guy down a stairways, bounces off the chandelier, goes into the pit of spikes, which has a springboard trap in the bottom, which springs him out into the wall, into the iron maiden and kills him. Um, <laughs> it was, <laughs> outrageous it was super japanese um but i played the shit out of that man there were three of them that i know of i get no nope, 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 there were four of them that i know of i just remembered there was a fourth one that was released on the ps3 um there's deception and deception 2 and then mm -hmm. there was deception 3 uh, then there was an offshoot one that was called Trapped, T-R-A-P-T, that, <laughs> that uh, was was a PS2 game, I want to say it was. And then they did a PS3 game, which was Deception 4. <laughs> so um, I think Deception 4 had a limited North America release because I remember I got it. And then it went away, and it just never reappeared. I'm going to actually go to the interwebs and find out. Yes, Deception 4 had a limited North America release, 2014. So, terrible, terrible trap-based make-the-monsters-fall-into-your-horrible-death-machine game that was just delightfully entertaining and the story was super dark. <laughs> so. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a really interesting concept and it's not something that we've seen sort of anywhere else. I mean, there's a lot of games where you can drop mines or something like that, but to build those elaborate style traps that actually, you know, it has a design element, but then it has sort of a, um, you know, sort of a, I guess a little bit of a horror element to it. It'd be really interesting. And with, uh, you know, you throw in the right sort of blood effects and things like that, it could be, you know, you know, a horror story and it would be sort of fun to set up. Yeah. I, I remember the localization was just terrible because it is, it, it is super Japanese. Right. And um, the only other person I know that even knew or played the game was Dan, which is. <laughs> of course. And, and that seems like something Dan would love, right? Let me right. let me ask you a question. I mean, 
thinking about it, you know, imagine a game, and obviously I'm just using this as a reference point. Imagine a game where you could create elaborate, like saw-like traps, you know, like that would, that, uh, but set, but with done with modern graphics and a modern update. I mean, that would be horrifying. Yeah, that that's effectively what Deception was going for, even in its infancy. And there's not another... You know, everything iterates off of everything else. Sure. The Deception series is is unique onto itself. There's nothing before it. There's nothing after it. There's nothing like it, at least that I know of. Uh, if you know of something that that I don't, give us a shout-out on the NerdCognito hotline, 323-694-4242. Correct me if I'm wrong and... Turn me on to to another deception style game, where that is the mechanic. Um, can also sound off if you just want to yell at me or Bert. Three two three six nine four four two four two. Let us know who you are. Leave your message, and remember, if you leave a message, it could be played on the air. So um, that's always fun. But yeah, deception was its own little unicorn, and I loved it. Right, I mean there there were a lot of unique games that came out of Japan, but that one always caught my that, that one caught, at least catches my attention. Unlike something like Mr. Mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mr. Mosquito was good. I uh, another weird Japanese game. Uh, before we wrap things up, uh, Chibi Robo. Chibi Robo. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I guess we better wrap things up. If you haven't already done so, follow the Nerd Cognito Twitter. At NerdCognito, uh, you'll be able to see previews of some of the stuff that we're going to talk about for the week, and you'll get to hear all sorts of witty NerdCognito Twitter machine style banter. Uh, at NerdCognito, follow us. It'll also keep you in tune with all of the stuffs that are going on in the NerdCognito world. Also, make sure that you are subscribed liked and and i'm actually going there bert make sure that you drop us a good review on the podcast player of your choice um we had another slew of sparkle troll terrible reviews we got review bombed uh they did not like some of the things that i said about their darky dark dark heart and um we want to counterbalance some of those so that we don't get lost in the abyss and so that new nerds can find us so it is vitally important that you are liked subscribed and get that review in to balance some of that bullshit out um that's all i got bert you got anything else you want to follow up on no like i said uh not not a bad way to end the thing end things with a trip down memory lane yeah yeah, and it was it was fun having an episode where we did not have elevated blood pressure about something or another. So right, no rants, no screaming. It was all it was good. It was good. It was good indeed. So I think we better end on a positive note. Thank you so much for tuning in. We definitely appreciate each and every single one of you out there in the Nerd Cognito Nation, and we will talk at you next week. Be safe out there, everybody. No!